Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. So I was on the road back home after church one Sunday morning when mom asked the kids what they learned in Sunday school that day. And her daughter piped up real quickly and said, We learned a story about a bear in the Bible. And mom said, Oh, do tell. Well, it was a cross-eyed bear. You learned about a cross-eyed bear in the Bible. Yes, we did. And we learned a song to go with it. You learned a song about a cross-eyed bear in the Bible. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And the bear's name was Gladly. <laughs> Gladly the cross-eyed bear. Just give it a minute. It'll click in. <laughs> Isn't it amazing when we listen, especially when we listen and think about and, and, and are hearing things that we don't understand, how quickly we, we reach for pieces that we do understand to fill in the blanks. Because we want a whole picture. We want to know. I actually think that that is a, uh, a facet of being created in the image of God. We have been created in the image of an infinite God who is all-knowing, all-powerful, and ever-present. The problem is that infinite image has been placed within a finite being. And as a result... We are never going to have infinite knowledge, infinite power, and uh, an and ever-presence everywhere in the world. Those are limitations that we have to deal with. And it becomes really, really frustrating for us, especially in the arena of theology, because we want to know, we want to understand, and there are things that just don't quite fit And so we're reaching for pieces to put them together so that we can at least appear to know what we're talking about. Now, if you have your Bibles, again, I would have you turn to the first chapter of the book of John. Uh, And we're, we're still, we're looking at the same verses that we looked at last week. And we're talking about atonement. And what does it mean uh, that Jesus atones for our sins. And what, what does it mean? What, I mean, why? Why was this the, the model that God chose? And exactly what is going on in, the, in and on the cross to reconcile us with God? We, we, we have the words. The words are in Scripture. We know the words. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Why? Because we're sinful and because we couldn't do it and He does for us what we can't do. But if God is all-powerful, how does that all uh, circle back and help us to connect all the dots? And so the result of that is that you have several different theories of atonement. So there, there is the, 
um, uh, the governmental theory, there is the ransom theory, there is the satisfaction theory, there is the uh, penal substitution theory, there's the Christ victory theory, there's even a theory called the scapegoat theory, which is just flat out wrong, but we'll talk about that in a minute. How do we put it all together? The beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, after He had been in the wilderness for 40 days, full of the Spirit, He begins His earthly ministry as He comes back amongst the people. We read in John 1, 29-34, The next day John the baptizer saw Jesus coming toward Him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. We talked last week about how John's disciples would have heard those words. Almost shockingly, they understood the Lamb. Every year they had to provide a lamb on the Day of Atonement to atone for their own sins. We look at that word, atonement, to make amends. And the question is, to make amends for what? And none of it makes sense if we don't first agree that there is sin in our lives. That there is sin in the world. If you take that word out of the vocabulary, you have what is commonly referred to today as therapeutic deism, where we create a theology to suit our own sensibilities. Especially in the areas that we don't understand, we reach for things that make sense in our minds, however developed they are. And sometimes we come up with crazy stuff like, Gladly the cross-eyed bear. Instead of what it really means. To bear the cross. To recognize that there is an element of service and sacrifice in our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. And it all centers on the cross. My five fundamentals, I've talked about these for the last couple of weeks. How do we call ourselves followers of Jesus uh, and Christians if we don't first acknowledge that Jesus is fully human, fully God? How do we call ourselves Christians, followers of Jesus, if we do not acknowledge the Bible as the authoritative word in our lives, first and final in all areas of life and faith? How do we call ourselves Christians, Uh, followers of Jesus, if we don't acknowledge Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross for our sins. 
How do we call ourselves followers of Jesus, Christians, if we do not acknowledge that there was a bodily resurrection three days later? How do we call ourselves followers of Jesus, Christians, if we do not believe and embrace the promise that Jesus will return? And so at the center of those five pieces is the cross. And the cross is an affront to so many people. And I find it interesting that uh, somebody, somebody said to me that uh, uh, in, 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 in our community, said that their, their, their son, uh, who is a believer, doesn't really like to come uh, to Grand Memorial. And the question was, why not? And the answer was, because it looks too much like a church. Uh, oh my. Uh, and, and if you'll notice, some of the, some of the, uh, the, the, the mega church uh, uh, sanctuaries or auditoriums that are being built these days, there are, there's one thing that is conspicuously missing. The cross. The, the cross is not there. Now, the, the cross is mentioned 27, 28 times in the New Testament. 28 times. And I'm still convinced that the first time Jesus said to His disciples, if you want to be My disciples, you need to pick up your cross daily and follow Me, that that shook them to the core. Because the cross was and is an ugly thing. When you read about about crucifixion in the first century, they give a nod to it, but they don't talk about it very in, in very much detail uh, because it is so ugly, it's so heinous. Probably one of the most brutal forms of execution ever devised by humanity. We don't like to think about things like that. We like to think happy thoughts. We like to think bow, bow ties and butterflies and rainbows and, and, and God's love and all that kind of stuff. And so we, we kind of want to tap dance away from anything that makes us feel uncomfortable, especially when it comes to something like atonement. What was Jesus doing on that cross? Why did He have to die for our sins? What, what is it in God's nature that requires a sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. If you would turn in your Bibles to the fourth chapter of First Hezekiah, I can clear it all up for you. <laughs> there is no fourth, there is no book of Hezekiah. There is no fourth chapter. That chapter is missing. That book is missing. The book that lays it out. This is exactly what happened. This is why Jesus had to do it. This is who God is and why sacrifice is required for the forgiveness of sins. We're going to clear up every question that you've ever had. It's just not there. And so what do we do? Slowly but surely we begin to look for the pieces of the puzzle. How many of you like to do jigsaw puzzles? 
Yeah, they're losing some some of their popularity, but uh, but uh, jigsaw puzzles are fun. And you know, you you do the borders first, and then you start finding the pieces to 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 fill it in. And if you're lucky, you have a box that has a picture on it <laughs> as a guide to kind of put you through. But you still have to do the hard work of finding the pieces in order to make the picture come to life. The same thing is true when it comes to the theories of atonement. There are, there are pieces of the puzzle scattered throughout Scripture. And one of the things that I've, I've really not done a lot of, this, you know, I'm, I'm in some new territory this, uh, this year because most of my preaching uh, uh, has, has been uh, uh, narrative preaching, expository preaching, where I take a, a passage and I look at that passage and I break it down within the context of that chapter. You know, what, as opposed to expository preaching, another form is called topical preaching where you jump around and you look at this verse and you look at that verse and, and, and people preach entire sermons on just one verse. Whew, I kind of cringe uh, because, uh, uh, and uh, Greg Kokel up uh, Stand to Reason, he says, never, ever, ever, ever read a single verse of Scripture. Always read a paragraph. So when people come to me and say, Pastor, what does this verse mean? I say, well, let's look at it in the context of the paragraph. Nine times out of ten, the answer is going to be there. Uh, And if it's not in that paragraph, it'll be in that chapter. It's amazing what you can discover and what you can learn by looking at a single verse in context. But, I'm not going to do that today. I'm going to just throw out single verses to you. Uh, Because these single verses, and and what I'll do on my Word on Wednesday, for for those of you that get uh, Wednesday, I send out an email uh, that kind of recaps the sermon. And if you're not getting that, uh, give me your email address or shoot me an email, or you can can actually go to the sermon, uh, to the webpage, and you can figure out how to uh, sign up for the Word on Wednesday. I'm going to put some of these verses in there. And my challenge... For you, I'm just going to share a couple of verses this morning, but I want you to think of them not as, oh my gosh, this clears up everything. Uh, I want you to look at them as puzzle pieces because they point to things. And then I want to challenge you to go back and look at these verses in the context of the paragraphs in which they are written. Fair enough? Thanks. Thank you. (laughs) So I'm going to start in Romans. In Romans chapter 3, we read this, But now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness comes from God. Okay, it's more than one verse. This righteousness comes from God through faith in, in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Him him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. Now, that can raise up a whole other dozen questions, but it's a piece. It's just a piece of the puzzle. I'm going to move over to 
First uh, First Corinthians, First Corinthians uh, uh, fifteen. For I received what I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, that He was buried and raised on the third day according to Scripture. So we have that Christ died for our sins. Christ died for our sins. Well, why did He have to die for our sins? Another question. We could have three or four questions off of that one verse. Go back and look at it in, in context. Uh, keep going into 2 Corinthians. Into 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we read that God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. So there you pick up themes of substitution. He who knew no sin became sin for those of us who did. There's that substitution that we might gain the righteousness of Christ. Okay, let's move on over to Galatians. Uh, in, the, uh, in the third chapter of Galatians, Christ, this is verse 13 of uh, three, uh, third chapter of Galatians, 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. So again, we see these themes emerging that Christ has done something significant for us on our behalf, something that we could not do on the cross through His blood. In Ephesians, we read this in Ephesians chapter 2. His purpose was to create in Himself one new humanity out of the two, the Gentiles and the Jews, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. Reconciliation comes through the cross. Going over to Colossians. When you were all dead in your sins, and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that is against us, that stood opposed to us, He took it away by nailing it to a cross. Jesus said, I did not come to do away with the law, but to fulfill it on our behalf. Doing what we could not do, cannot do, in and of our own strength. Going over to Hebrews. Man, there's just so much good stuff here. Going over to the ninth chapter of Hebrews, verse 22. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Well, that seems a little narrow-minded. But that's what the text says. That's what the text says. Moving on to 1 Peter. 
He bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. So there's a healing theory of atonement there. Going on in in 1 Peter chapter 3, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. I'm almost done here. But this is good stuff. 1 John My children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteousness, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So it becomes clear as we look at the pieces of the puzzle, not perfectly clear, but it starts to become clear that, that, we, that we see these themes, that there, is, that there is something in God's nature. Can you think of anything, God, who is all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipresent, can you think of anything that such a God cannot do? <laughs> a pastor asked a group of kids in a children's sermon one time. Can you think of anything that God cannot do? A little girl raised her hand and said, He can't sin. Okay. Absolutely right. I love the verse that says, God is faithful even when we are not. Because He cannot deny Himself. God cannot deny Himself. That's what God cannot do. He cannot act in a nature that is contrary, in a way that is contrary to His nature. Now, the, tr- the problem with that is that we don't fully comprehend and understand exactly what the nature of God is. Because we have these questions. Why? And I asked this question uh, yesterday morning at the, uh, at the men's Bible study, which is live again, by the way. We had our first in-person uh, men's Bible study yesterday morning. Why? I understand that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that he, that he bled, uh, for our, that, the, that there's, there's healing in the blood and uh, all, all that kind of stuff. But why did he have to suffer? Why did he have to suffer? Why, why, couldn't, why couldn't there have been a lethal injection or, or a firing squad? Why, why not get it over quickly? If you need to die for our sins, you need to offer a sacrifice, do it over. Why the suffering? I believe that the whole sacrificial system that is set up in the Old Testament is designed to help us understand that sin has consequences. Sin has consequences. And left to our own devices, ultimately, we would destroy ourselves. So in a sense, salvation is being saved from ourselves. Sin has consequences. And the consequences of sin oftentimes 
is suffering. So the more we sin, the more we suffer. And so to atone, to cover, to make amends for the sin of humanity must have taken unbearable suffering. No one can ever come along and say to us, I've done a better job on your behalf of reconciling you and bringing you into a right relationship with Jesus, or with God than Jesus has done. Can't do that. It is, it is impossible. But for me, all these pieces that we get, even though there are still dozens of questions when it comes to theories of atonement, with the exception of the scapegoat theory. And the scapegoat theory is one that has basically done away with the cross. The scapegoat theory of atonement says that the reason... First off, it says that Jesus was not a sacrifice. He was a victim He was a victim of the cruelty of humanity. And through this this terrible humanity, Jesus was put on the cross as a victim. Once they realized that He was innocent, now we feel badly for our sins and we strive to do better. And Jesus is our model. There's only one problem with that theory. It doesn't fit any of the pieces that we have in Scripture. It doesn't fit any of them. So as I look at all these, all these, uh, the verses that I've read for you, and I'll, and I'll send them out to you, I want you to look at them, if you're willing, to look at them in context, uh, because they do show us, the text tells us that these are necessary pieces. And in fact, the whole Bible is about atonement as God desires to bring us into a right relationship with Him. And He goes through Herculean measures that we will probably fully not comprehend this side of eternity to do that. Could it simply be that God loves us that much? That's pretty cool. Because the answer is yes. God loves us that much much. But here's the one for me that really kind of helps me to take a deep breath and say, okay, I can go with that. And it's from the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, which talks about the suffering servant. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Yet he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, familiar with suffering, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took 
upon himself our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before his shears is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken and assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. And here comes the money shot, people. Isaiah 53.10 Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the Lord and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Earlier we said the Lord's Prayer together. And part of that prayer was, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy will be done. Do we believe that? We believe it until we don't understand it. And if in fact, according to my five five fundamentals, you can have other five fundamentals, we can talk about that. But according to my five fundamentals, one of those fundamentals is that the Bible is the authoritative Word of God, first and final word in areas of life and faith. If I want to understand something that God is doing, I go first to the text. I can come up with all kinds of theories, but those theories need to reflect what I read in the text. And the bottom line is that why Jesus went to the cross, because it was God's will that it happened. And, and I don't need to read any further. Because, you see, I have been given enough answers that I do understand and can put together. Especially when it comes to areas of forgiveness, grace, healing, restoration. That I can trust God for the pieces that I still have missing. Because He's given me enough pieces to get the general picture and move forward. I don't have to fill in all the blanks. The reality is, God is always going to be our legitimate mystery. We're never going to fully understand that. And the cross, the cross stands as a bridge for us between the physical and the spiritual. That is our connection. In ways that we will not fully comprehend this side of of eternity, and that's okay. It's okay to rest in the mystery. It's okay not to have all the answers. When I was a little boy, I grew up with the music of Roger Miller. Anybody here ever hear of Roger Miller? Yeah, England swings like a pendulum do, Bobby's own bicycle two by two, Westminster Abbey, the Tower of Pig Pin. That's how I sang it as a kid. Because I had no idea what Big Ben was. And I was going through the house singing one day and my mother chuckled. She stopped me. She says, David, what are you singing? 
And I, and I shared with her, and she laughed, and she said, no, 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 it's the Tower of Big Ben, not Pigpen. It's not a Snoopy cartoon. I went, oh, okay. So I changed the words, and I went on. I was happy as a clam with legs. I never thought about it. She corrected me. I appreciated it. I moved forward. I am embarrassed to tell you that it wasn't into my 20s that I finally figured out what a horsopen sleigh was. I sang the song for years and never knew what a horsopen sleigh was. And I was too embarrassed to ask anybody what it was. Jingle bells, jingle bells. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. We can be so embarrassed because we don't have the right answers. Or that we don't understand and don't know exactly what's going on. And that's okay. Because at the end of the day, as we grapple with the mystery of the atonement, the mystery and the significance of the cross in our lives, we can simply take a step back and say, God really does love me that much. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. When I see somebody wearing a cross, to me that's an invitation for a conversation. I ask them, hey, I see you're wearing a cross. Can you tell me what does that mean to you? For some, it's just a piece of jewelry. For some, it's a memento handed down from a, a, a mother or a grandmother. Uh, and for some, it is the hope of salvation. The cross is foolishness, the Bible tells us, to those who do not believe. But for those of us who do, it is the power of salvation. We need to be careful. Because you know who takes the cross most seriously today? Jewelers. Let's take it as serious and recognize the mystery that it represents as we celebrate the reality that God loves us that much. Amen.